You're listening to the Think Unbroken podcast, and I'm your host, Michael Unbroken. I'm an author, speaker, coach, and advocate for adult survivors of childhood trauma and abuse. In this podcast, you will learn how to transform your trauma into triumph, turn breakdowns into breakthroughs, and go from victim to being the hero of your own story. You can learn more at thinkunbrokenpodcast.com, and of course, check us out on Apple Podcasts and Spotify at Think Unbroken Podcast. Why are you the outlier? Why? What is it that you know that they don't? Because this is what I think people come to a lot is they're like, why is it that talking about myself, they'll look at me and go, how did he figure out? Right? You said it just a second ago. I mean, there's there's multiple reasons, right? There's, there's more than just this, but there's like one of the things that you just said um, that you do is really one of the, um, is one of the tactical ways of how you overcome it. And you don't look at how it's affecting your day. Like if somebody tells me something negative today about me, I'm like, like how's that really going to affect my life tomorrow? Like it really doesn't, right? And I look at the future and I, I ask myself those questions sometimes. I look at it and go, okay, who is this person? How, did they aff- how have they affected my life in a positive negative way in the past? How are they affecting me in a negative or positive way today? And will what they're doing and telling me today, is it going to affect my life tomorrow? And if it doesn't, if they haven't affected me and they're not affecting me, and they're not going to affect my life in a positive way, why should I allow them into my life to affect me today? And if, it, if, they, if, if none of that adds up to me moving forward in life, I disregard it 100%. Do you think that's like your superpower then? I, 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 I think I'm blessed that I have that. And, and I do. I, so when I pray sometimes, I tell, I'll say like, God, thank you. Aaron, by the grace of God, go I, you know, because I feel sometimes that I'm lucky that I have something. Because I know it's easier said than done. It's taken a lot of work. And my wife's been told that because there's a lot of me- mental illness that runs in my family line, like back. Um, and, and I think that, and she goes, I think that you're okay with who you are because of all the self-development that you've done since I was 18 years old, in entrepreneurship. Um, cause I've been doing it for 30 years. And, um, I, I, I don't, I sometimes ask myself if I'd be a different person, if I wouldn't have gotten into this entrepreneurial journey at such a young age and into personal development at such a young age. For sure. And probably 100% for sure. Because yeah. I've been working on my personal development for 30 years. I, yeah. That's, dude, here's what I always tell people I'm like, do you really want to find out who you are being an entrepreneur? Yeah. Right. Well, sure. And, and like, it's funny because sometimes people push back on me. I'm like, I-, I thought your show was about mental health. I'm like, yeah, that's the entire game of entrepreneurship. It's all I'm mental health forever. And then you're like in this forever. But I, but I think that one of the really interesting parts about the personal development journey is as you grow, you watch everything around you grow. Yeah. And, and you got into it very young, which I think is absolutely phenomenal. Like a, you had a, a child. I'm going to call him a child because he's still 17. And when you're 17, you're a child. I don't care what you say. You're stupid. You are stupid. But you had a kid. I was speaking at your mastermind. And you have all these incredible entrepreneurs in there, paid a ton of money to be with you. And there is this kid, 17 in the room. And bro, my first thought was like, bro, if I was in that room when I was 17, yeah. I'd be a freaking billionaire right now. You know, and and so my my hope is like, here's what's interesting. Children are so open to receiving. Yeah, they are. Even at that age, at 18, 19, 20. And we have adults. I know the average person listening to this show is like 40 years old. Right. I'm heading into my 40s. I'm getting there. I've been on a personal development journey for 13 years. And it's like, even still, man, I'm like bashing my head against the wall because I'm like, 
do you get this still? Like what we're missing the boat here. What, what do you think people need to do to really take advantage of personal development? Uh, they need to get rid of um, the negative people in their life. And this is the hardest part for people. It was hard for me. Um, it's still, I still battle with this sometimes. Like I, I talk about how good and how my mom was to me growing up and how, how she was my backbone. But then as I was an adult, my mom and dad also became my crutch. Mm. And my mom and dad, are, I'm lucky to, to have my parents in their mid-70s still um, healthy. And I love them to death. And God bless their hearts. But there's people in your life you have to rid of either long-term or temporarily or certain aspects to get to where you need to get. And you need to make sure that you're not selfish when you're doing it. And because what is hold on, let's go into that. What do you how do you not be selfish while you do it? Uh, no, I'm sorry. You need to be selfish. You need to be okay. Yeah, I, I thought that might be where you were going because I was yeah. like, how do we navigate? That? Yeah. So when, when you're going through this, you have to be selfish. And I've told people this when I'm training. I'm saying I'll tell them in front of a room when I'm working with people. I know they're at this spot. I'll tell them, look, this time right now, ladies and gentlemen, it is time for you to be greedy and selfish because. Um, I was always taught that a drowning person can't save another drowning person. Mm, and so it's real. If you're, if you're out in the middle of the ocean struggling to stay alive, you can't help nobody. You got to help yourself first. You got to get on dry land. And so if you're being affected um, emotionally by um, people that are around you, and you know what's hard is the biggest thing is it's the people you love. It's, um, it's, it is your parents a lot of times. Um, sometimes it's your spouse, yeah. you know. Um, like entrepreneurship, when you've already been married for a long time, is hard sometimes because you might be growing and your wife might not be, or vice versa, you know. And um, and it's hard, you know, because I don't know. I tell anybody, well, you're growing at a different pace, divorce some, you know, like that's the opposite of what you want to do. And you may under you may find that that your spouse may never embrace your journey. Um. So one thing that that I was blessed with was I was just a single man, no kids, taking on this journey. But one thing I was very adamant about when I met my wife was. My, was the direction I was going. And she, so much so that as she, we got, is we grew together, she became a little bit bitter at a certain point in time in our relationship because all relationships go through ups and downs. And um, as close as my wife and I, I feel that like my wife and I are now, we've traveled a roller coaster journey over the course of the last 25 years that her and I have been together and the last 16, almost 17 years that we've been married. And part of that was there was times where she was young and I just told her the direction my life was going to go and it was non-negotiable. Like I was, I was non, not negotiating the terms of the direction I wanted my life to go. Like I wanted, I was going to be an entrepreneur. I was working that direction. By the time I met her, I was already doing well. I already ridden a little bit of a five-year roller coaster and, um, and I wasn't willing to give that up. That and working out. My, my one hour workout, four days. In fact, those are two things I told her that like, those are non-negotiable in my life. Like, if I have to negotiate those, I'm less, I feel like I'm less of a man. And those are two factors in my life that I'm not willing to negotiate with. And there was a certain point in time where, where we had kids and she started losing her sense of identity because she gave up her professional career to be a mom, which was highly, I, I just respect and, and, and love her for so much, but it was hard for her. And, um, and after the second baby, it was hard for her to get in the shape that she was in running um, eight miles a week before my son was born, um, you know, and- and living in this young woman's body, growing into a mom, and she felt like she was losing her body, her sense of identity, and and knowing that does my husband still love me for all of this, you know? And um, and we had to ride through through some of this stuff. And I never gave up and compromised my goal. 
and she was bitter about it at certain points in time, but we worked through it together. You know, and I had I had to work harder at being a better husband. And I had to work harder at understanding um why she was in need of that. I had to work harder at, and it took me years. Like this didn't happen overnight. Like, I mean, you you battle with it for like a few months. Then you have a few months of, of good times where it doesn't come up. Then so, an in, a circumstance in your life happens where um, it makes them feel inferior again, or what you're doing is not the direction that you're going in together. And and it's a constant growth and up and down roller coaster ride. And now I feel like I understand it better. God, I hope so. 25 years of doing it and 17 years of being together. And I'm still not perfect. I still say, you know, and there's still some times that we're not in alignment. Like even all this social media stuff, she doesn't, she cares less about this than she does my other stuff because she doesn't understand it quite yet, you know? And so she supports me. Hmm. Um, I've never given a reason not to, but we have to understand that, that those relationships are real and those people affect your life. So when you're in your infant stages of change and growth and develop, you need to be around people that truly support you and help you grow. And sometimes the people that help you grow in moments tear you down. And in those moments, you have to know what to shake off because sometimes those people hurts more from those people than it does from sedentary individuals that are just out there in life, right? Um, one of the things that I, yeah, 100%. And one of the things that came to mind for me is like the, those relationships with the, the people of our lives are, are very difficult to navigate when you are driven. Yeah. And, and I have experienced, I've had to learn the lesson the hard way. I mean, I've, I've shared this on the show before, but I completely ruined a relationship because I was overly focused on the goal. Yeah. Of probably the woman I should have married. Right. I won't say maybe the, cause obviously I would have, you know, yeah. whatever. But, but my point is like, I got so zeroed in on money at 25 years old and everyone knows I lost all the money. Right. But if maybe if I would have been focused differently, things would have been different with that woman. And, and I, I remember probably four years ago, um, I was like listening to Grant Cardone say something and I didn't really understand until like I sat, I processed it and I looked back on some of my relationships and some of my friendships. And he said, the reason why he knew he was supposed to marry his wife is because one day he told her, I'll give up anything for you except my dreams. And she said, I, I wouldn't expect anything less. And what I realized in, in retrospect, looking at that woman that I was with in my 20s, it was, I will give up literally everything of all time ever to have you. you know? And not understanding that the, the dreams and being able to navigate that has to be so much more than just like money and success. And, and now when I think about my goals, which are like literally on the back of my phone, which I read 17 times a day, which I write down twice a day, every day, one of them is to be in a healthy, long, sustaining relationship that I get to say I was in for 25 years, right? And, and that to me is something that I move for. But there is a, there is a caveat in this that, me, that is everything. And so I'm not going to stop going for my dreams for this. Yeah. You know, and I think the right person in your life, the right people in your life will respect it. When I go and I look at like my friendships of my twenties, dude, those guys all doing the same. We did all twenty. Yeah, they're all drunk. They're all overweight. I what what maybe on them because I love them. But what I'm saying is, you look at my circle now; those people are not in my circle, and and we're so tied to this idea that when we're changing, it's not okay to leave people behind. And I think it's the most important thing we can do. Yeah. And I think that sometimes people think they're leaving them. 
I'll tell you. I agree. I don't think it's right. I, I don't, you know, like I got a good friend of mine that I hold close to my heart. Um, and I don't, I don't hang out with him on a regular basis. I'll see him maybe, maybe once a year. And when we get together, we laugh, man. We tell stories and it's a good time. But I know that I can't hang out with him every day because the lifestyle that he lives and the lifestyle that I live are entirely different. There'll either be some level of resentment that he has towards me because um, maybe he might feel inferior to what I've been able to accomplish because he's looking at it on a monetary and a financial basis. And to me, that holds almost zero relevance. And he's a good dad and a good husband. And he's not standing, stood on his own two feet. Um, but people get resentful of that. And um, in the opposite, he drinks a lot and he doesn't really fit my lifestyle, right? And as much as I love him, I just don't want to be around the alcohol and, um, and, and it just doesn't fit the direction that I want my kids to see. It doesn't fit the direction and the example of, of that portion of being a father that I want to depict on my kids. And, um, and I just don't want that be a depiction on my life as well, because that you slowly start succumbing your life to the people you're around. So if I'm around him more regularly, I probably will end up drinking. How so, do you reconcile with yourself that survivor skill? So for me, it was a process. Um, it wasn't a Bible verse or a conversation. It wasn't an aha moment. It was almost like layers of an onion being peeled that, that depression and that survivor's guilt. And I still have it. If I'm being totally transparent, like there are still times God is, like I said, I've lost more than most and I've been blessed more than most. And one of the ways that survivor's guilt shows up for me is when I have like a big month and we do like a seven figure month or just something crazy happens in my business or in my personal life. I have a child, right? I have three beautiful babies. I have a sense of guilt because Steve and Matt never had enough life to experience that. And mm -hmm. it's like, man, I'm not just getting by. Like God is giving me abundance. My business is blowing up in a good way. My, my marriage, as I shared with you a couple of hours ago, is the best it's been in the entire time I've been with my wife. Like, Things are amazing for me. And a lot of times when I'm in a really good season, survivor's guilt shows up that I feel guilty that I have so much when Steve and Matt didn't even get to live. So that's one way it shows up for me. How I reconciled that, and, and, and that's still to this day, but, but how I tolerate it and how I deal with it and how I've taken it from unbearable to totally being able to live my life uh, powerfully again was, like I said, slowly, like the layers of an onion peeling off. And, and I think where I got my biggest healing was, um, was another crazy part of my story, but I, st I ended up starting. So that was in 2004 where those two accidents happened, uh, when I lost Stephen Matt. 2005, I started my first business and had phenomenal success. 2008, the recession started. I don't know if you remember that. And mm -hmm. it beat me up and I lost almost everything. So 2010, I was down to like my last $30,000 to my name in my checking account. And quit my business, moved to Mexico and became a missionary. I just felt called to go down there. And I realized that I promised Steve and Matt a few years earlier that I would live a life big enough for all of us. And the only way that I went about doing that was to start a business and make money. And I thought about it and I was like, if I died today, all I would be able to do is tell Steve and Matt, hey, I got four more years than you. And I just went and got rich. All I did was make money. I didn't give back. I didn't contribute. I didn't help others. So I went the extreme opposite and moved to Mexico and became a missionary. My business was falling apart because of the recession. So I gave my dad my half of the company. He was my business partner. I gave him my half of the company. I moved to Mexico. I joined staff with a nonprofit organization called YWAM, Youth with a Mission. And my job was to build houses for homeless families. I lived in Mexico for the next seven and a half months full time. And the only thing I did was I would like read my Bible and I would surf 
and I would eat tacos and I would build houses for homeless families. And that was it. And that immersion in that environment slowly but surely helped me process the survivor's guilt so that I could get to the place I'm at now where I could unapologetically pursue things in life without feeling guilty about what, it. What part of that did the processing come through? Because I think that's the place where people will get stuck. They're like, I'm going to go on this mission. I'm going to go find myself. I'm going to go and attempt to do all these things yeah. for the betterment of the world. But then there's no shift. And maybe it's just divine intervention. Sure. Right. I mean, I don't know. But was there something you could pinpoint to really kind of being a catalyst for that? Dude, for the first time in my life, being alone, um, being alone in my thoughts, being alone in my prayer life. Um, for the first time in my life, I tried fasting, which is something that is not even a religious thing anymore. Like intermittent fasting is like what every health freak does nowadays. And so I did like three-day water fasts where for three days I would do nothing other than drink water. I wouldn't juice like smoothies, nothing, just pure water, no food. And I would just be deep in prayer and deep in meditation and deep in thought. And what I have found, even in my more adult life now, is that solitude gives me so much clarity and being alone and away from the noise and being away from the conversations is so powerful. I did a, a program called 75 Hard, which was started by a friend of mine, Annie Frisella. And my favorite part of 75 Hard is for at least 45 minutes a day, I'm completely alone. Because one of my two workouts, I always either go for a jog or I go for a walk or I go for a bike ride. And then the other workouts at the gym where I'm surrounded by people. But that 45 minutes alone, oftentimes is my favorite 45 minutes of the entire day. And so there's something interesting and I don't know what it is about it, but being alone in my own thoughts helps me to process way faster. And so in Mexico, I had no friends. I had no community. I, I mean, I had a community. I was a part of the nonprofit, but I had left my whole life in the, yeah. in the United States. I lived in Mexico with complete strangers. So I was alone all the time. And I think that that was the catalyst that alone time gave me the emotional space and the mental space and the physical space, if we're talking space, uh, to, to slowly process and, and it took the pain from a 10 to a nine, to an eight, to a seven. And I would say that it's that, that alone time that was the catalyst that did it for me. Yeah. Which is also the scariest time. Cause guess what? You've got to figure out who you are now. Yeah. And there's nobody to distract you. I, you know, I always, whenever I'm coaching my clients, one thing I always tell them, I was like, you got to find the space to be by yourself. Yeah. One, one of the greatest things I've ever done in my personal journey. I moved to Thailand, one way ticket. That's right. And I just sat on beaches and I did martial arts and I ate Thai food and, you know, I did volunteer work and I wrote the first book and it was like, dude, the, all the therapy, all the coaching, all the mentorship. I mean, all of that plays a role, you know, this yeah. obviously, but being there in the space of just presence with me, man, there's so much power in that. And people are terrified of it. It's really uncomfortable to be alone. Yeah. Because all the both good things and the uh, things that you've done and you've experienced, they come to the surface. 100%. And I feel like so many people suffer in the silence, not knowing that it's actually the gateway. I think that's powerful. I think, uh, yeah, I think that being alone in your own thoughts is vulnerable to a degree, uh, not publicly, but with yourself. Like you said, you figure out who you are. And I've never had this conversation before, honestly. I've never talked about that being a catalyst and, and that aloneness, but if that's even a word. But I got to tell you, man, and for the listeners that are processing right now something heavy in your own life, just taking a long walk 
and being completely alone in your own thoughts, the first time, nothing might happen. The second, third time, nothing might happen. Yeah. But if you're consistent with it, like going to the gym, you go to the gym once, you didn't lose any weight. You go to the gym five times, five days in a row, you didn't lose any weight. But if you stick with the gym five months, you'll look like a whole new person. And the same is true with being alone. It's, it's got to be something that you commit to and practice semi-daily, if not daily, for a couple of months. And you will realize that so many things that are heavy burdens in your life start to become lighter. Yeah. And I, I think in that too, you do need support, right? And I think one of the yes. really hard parts is, here, here's, here's the juxtaposition of this conversation. On the one hand, I completely and utterly agree with you entirely. Obviously, we're on the same page. Go and find the alone time. On the other side, it's like, you cannot do this alone. No, yeah. You cannot go down this healing path alone. And I, I think people will see guys like you in the world and go, man, this guy's built success. He's kind of this public figure guy, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, but you didn't do this by yourself. No. How, how do you find help? I think through community. Uh, and so shout out to the men and women who from my therapists to my pastors, to my family, to just my community who have, who have had my back. But I think what you said is really important to, uh, an important distinction to make to your audience is the alone time is important, but I'm not alone 24 seven. I'm not a monk moved to a cave in the middle of the mountains. I am still engaging in conversation and interacting with people. I'm just taking moments of a long time. But to your point, uh, having a mentor or having support from somebody is absolutely crucial. Um, and your question was, how do you find them? Uh, I have found all of those people in my life that have been instrumental through community, through my church, through my masterminds, through my network of just being transparent and telling people, hey, I have a need right now. I'm struggling with this thing. Do you have any recommendations on someone that can help me? Hey, Unbroken Nation, we'll be right back to the show. But I wanted to let you know that you can grab a copy of my first book, Think Unbroken, Understanding and Overcoming Childhood Trauma for free. If you go to book.thinkunbroken.com, you can download the PDF ebook version of the book and get everything that I know about the baseline of healing trauma for free downloaded to your email right now. Just go to book.thinkunbroken.com to download your copy of Think Unbroken, Understanding and Overcoming Childhood Trauma for a PDF for your phone. Again, that is book.thinkunbroken.com. Let's go into that for a second. Cause I, I think that is, you just nailed it on the head, your willingness to be transparent, but it's the most scary thing people can do. More so let's add a layer to it. It's probably the most terrifying thing most men can do. We grow up being told, figure it out, man up, don't be, right? And, and there's an element to that, which I can get on board with. Yeah, it's totally. like, you do have to pull yourself through, but the side of it that I can't is the, the ostracization of it, where you're by yourself, you're eliminated from all of your community society and you're suffering in silence. Like, like what, what is your thought process, like in a literal sense, when you're asking for help, like what is going through your head? That leads down to this path where you're like, I'm going to raise my hand and be like, this is where I'm at. This is the place I'm struggling. Can someone hold me? Yeah, I think for me and, you know, again, another unique question, but my initial response, let me think this through. I guess it's uncomfortable at first to ask for help, of course, but I get to a point eventually where the pain is stronger than the discomfort of asking for help. Mm. And so 
I might have something that's embarrassing, like I'm depressed about losing Stephen Matt and I want to have a therapist to talk to me, but that's an embarrassing, I'm just making this up, but that's an embarrassing thing to talk about, right? But the depression will grow to a point where you're so miserable that the discomfort is stronger than the concern or afraid or shyness of asking for help. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so I think for me to answer your question, where I got to was I was just so broken and so sick of being broken that the uh, shame of asking for help, whatever, you know, and there is no shame in asking for help. I'm saying at the moment, like maybe I had some shame in asking for help or embarrassment or whatever it was that like maybe for six months, I knew I needed some support and I just kept putting it off for that shame, that embarrassment or whatever. But the pain eventually got to the point where I just couldn't take it anymore. It's, you know, physical. My buddy had a, a tooth problem. I don't know why this is coming to my, my head. And he lifted it for like six months and he have to like hold his cheek. I'm like, what is wrong with you? And finally he ended up finding something and breaking his tooth. And so then he had to go to the, to the, to the dentist and get it fixed. And I was mouth is fine. And it's like, how sad was it that he lived with pain for six months until finally it became a big enough problem that he had to address it. And now his life is fine again. But it took the pain getting unbearable before he took action. He wanted to give people permission to go be great, even though they come from backgrounds like us, and to show them that no matter what, this is absolutely possible. You can have what you want in life, but people are terrified to tap into their self, to their belief, to their intuition, to their heart, and to be that confident person. Where did confidence come from? How do you build it and how do you maintain it? Wow. Great question. So not to sound arrogant, but it's like when you know something because you've tried it and you've done it and you've seen it work, you know, it it works. It's kind of like your grandmother giving you the recipe to her, I mean, famous red velvet cake. She tell you exactly five scoops of flour, one stick of Lando lace butter. And she put Lando lace, you know, she puts uh, uh, a flour and she puts, make sure you put the oven at 450. She knows that this recipe is going to give you the output of her famous red velvet cake. I failed and succeeded so much from mentally, spiritually, physically, financially, relationally that I have, I call it my formula, right? And everybody has a formula. So I am not a religious girl. Um, I am a spiritual girl. Um, I used to be a religious girl. I remember I was strictly, the pastor said this, and this is what the pastor said, and this is what we going to do. The prophet told me this, and the apostle told me this. And then after a while, I started to realize that, wait a minute, they're human just like me. They, 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 they make error just like me. If God told them something, why God ain't coming to me? So I started to work on my spirit having a relationship with God, knowing that you got big God and I'm little God. So I know that I have power. I have the power to speak a thing and it shall come to pass. I believe that a thought is a thing that you constantly believe to be true. And so I believe that, 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 that whatever I believe to be true, I can make happen because I believe it to be true. I believe in um, principles. And so I try to do it all everybody else way. And every time I try to do it everybody else's way, I'm, li- I'm literally, I could see the failure. And then when I do it the way that I know works, it always works. So I think mm-hmm. that that arrogance is when you have an air about yourself that you can't be, excuse me, with. And that's not true. I could be with, 
I could be, but I know how to not be with. So then for I become with them. So I know what my formula is and I know that everybody has one. And so once I discovered it and I tested it, I tested it, I tested what life would be like doing what everybody else do. And I saw what the results was. And then I tested living life the way I learned to live it. And now it's like, I mean, I, I'm very peaceful. I, I don't let people bother me. I'm happy with myself. I don't need no entourage. I don't need no friends. I don't need you to like me. I don't need you to approve of me. I don't need you to understand me. Like, it just is what it is. I am Stormy Nicole Wellington, and I know who I am. I know what I'm supposed to do. I know my assignment. I know what I ain't supposed to do. And, I mean, that's just it. So it's not an arrogance. It's just I am aware, you know? And it's God's fidelity. You know, God is within me. And so therefore, I cannot fail. So that's that's pretty much what it is. And I think when you've succeeded and failed and you did it multiple times, it's like, why am I doubting what I know to be true? I did it. I Listen, I live a life people dream of, right? And nobody gave me nothing. And I've helped so many people that you would have never thought could have even been helped. So why should I doubt what I already know I know? Because I've done it. And I've done it multiple times. Everything I, everything that I say I know, I know it because it worked. If that makes mm. sense. A hundred percent. This is obviously not the Grant Cardone show, but I need to say this. So I was speaking at um at one of his boot camps and and I, I won this speak off that he did and he invested ten thousand dollars into Think Unbroken, right? And you know this Grant doesn't give people money. <laughs> and so that was such a powerful moment. And he, and he sat across from me and he said, Michael, man, you need to take your flowers. And I never heard anyone tell me this before. I always bring this up on the show because it's such an important thing because it ties into what you just said. It's about acknowledging your greatness. Like you did something amazing. And people, I think about this a lot. We're, we're told to be humble. Stand in the back of the room, raise your hand to go to the bathroom. You do something great. Oh, it's everybody else's thing. But Stormy, sometimes it's you. You pulled yourself out of the the world is against you. And yet people feel like they're not allowed to like raise their hand and be like, I'm great. Like, how do you you have this formula, which I think is really beautiful and powerful. And I do too. And, and so much of it is based on the past and going, I did that. I know I can do this over here. Most people are terrified to acknowledge their greatness. How do you how do you step into that? Like as a if if I were sitting with you, let, let's go through this real quick. Cause as Coach Stormy, I think I'd be remiss not to ask this question. I'm sitting across from you. I hear your story. Stormy goes, Yeah, I've got the formula. I did this. And I'm telling you, Stormy, I just don't believe in myself. How do I become like you? How do I do the thing that Stormy has done? How do I do the thing that Michael's done? I see you guys, but it doesn't seem like it's for me, but you have everything. What am I missing? So the first thing that I would tell you, um, so we got to understand like man is maker of himself. Man is made and unmade by his daily choices and decisions. Like that's the number one thing that everybody in this world has to know. Man is maker of himself. Man is made and unmade by every choice and every decision that he has ever made. You are living in your imagination, Michael. Things happen three times in life. And I talked about this yesterday and I give it to the unbroken nation uh, as a gift. And I want y'all to listen to this real slow. Things happen three times in life. Okay, when you're a kid, you can't say this. This is not this. When you're a kid or if you're mentally challenged or if you have some disorders or some disabilities or some handicap, I get it. 
I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about able-bodied men and women. We have to know, number one, everything happens in the mind first. Everything we see right now, somebody thought about. You know, this uh, this, this is, I love this saying, Mike. I did not think of this. I could have never thought of this. I knew I needed something like this. This goes in my purse. I could pull it out. Look, look, boom, boom, boom. It even come with a remote control. I never used it. Throw it back in my purse. It's done. Somebody thought of this in their imagination. They saw it, number one. Number two, they, they did the work to create it. So they went through the manufacturers. They, they drew it out. They probably drew it out on a pencil and a paper. And they played it or what? They just drew it. So the second thing is they did the work. So it happened the second time because they did it. And now it's done. So now we have it. But you know when a person really experiences life? You know, do you know when this person gets the gratitude for this? Not just the money. The money is one thing. But what gives this person the gratitude is when he sees people using it. So the reflection of the thing you thought about is the real glory. The real excitement is when you sit back and be like, I'm really Michael. Even though I was hungry as a kid and I stole, even though I was uh, abused or beaten and molested and abandoned and talked about and I watched my mom do drugs. You be like, look at Michael. Look at me. Or, or you become a bomb. And you be an alcoholic and you, you know, and, and you sit back and be like, look at me. So at the end, in the, at the end of the day, you, you got to know that that man is maker of himself. So I would tell this person, like, look at your life. You decided it. You went to that college. You dated that man. You dated that woman. You accepted that relationship. So if you don't like it, guess what? Just visualize. You are the story that you tell yourself. So now what do you want your new story to be? That's why I'm big on meditation. I meditate every day. Every day I live in my imagination. I'm thinking about what else do I want and what else do I want and what else do I want. And so I would tell that person, work harder on yourself than you do anything else and know that you make yourself and you could break yourself. So decide what is it going to be? You're going to make yourself or break yourself. And if you want to choose and continue breaking yourself, that's a little bit above my pay grade. So you may need to go see your pastor or your, or your whoever you need to go see. But it's, 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 it's getting people to understand that, man, we got a choice and it ain't easy. Like, if you go back and you think about all the hard work it took for you to become Michael, it wasn't easy, but I bet you you happy you did it. Yeah, 100%. I remember when I first met you, you're a different person. That took a lot of work. First of all, your confidence, your, your facial expression, like you are, you own who you are now. And that it, when I first met you, it wasn't like that. You know why you're doing it? Because you know what you know and nobody can challenge what Michael knows that he knows. And so people got to get to a place that if you don't like yourself, what books are you reading? What what do you see for yourself? If you see, listen, don't decide what life you're going to have based upon the life you have right now. Mm. Like nobody probably will believe what I tell them. I'm going to be a billionaire. You know, I'm, I'm going to build a, a subdivision. I'm going to have my own airplane. I don't have the money for none of that right now. I do not have, I don't know nothing about no subdivision beside how to live in one. I don't know nothing about no airplane beside how to get on one. But I guarantee you because Whatever you think about with deep emotion will suddenly appear. So we got to change our thoughts and we got to be very careful because our thoughts could play tricks on us. So it's about you getting in alignment with what is it that you really, 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 really want and allowing that imagination to run free. How did you forgive yourself? Like, what did that process look like 
what were the things that you had to do to forgive yourself within the space of like acknowledging and accepting? I think first of all, understanding that when I did something wrong, or I heard some people in the past, um, it was not because I was a mean person. It was because I used the tools that I had in that, in that moment. I used the wisdom, the knowledge that I had in that moment, and I had to make the decision. And maybe this decision was what hurt them. So it's first accepting that I was not trying to be mean. I, I just tried to do my best or I tried to find love. Sometimes, you know, sometimes uh, the alcoholic is, uh, is not that someone that just wants to drink alcohol just for fun. It's just because they want to hide a lot of pain. They want to hide trauma. They want to hide some stuff inside. And it's because they just want to disassociate for a few hours and they just want to feel peace and they want to feel, be happy for a few hours and they feel so much pain. So first of all, understanding that, um, yeah, I, I didn't, I, I, the purpose was not to be mean. And secondly, it's with time. With time, I think I can forgive. I can forgive myself and accepting who I am, accepting my shadows is, was the way for me to forgive myself. I still feel like I need to forgive more areas of myself. And this is still a journey and probably I will continue this journey for the rest of my life. Uh, uh, but breathwork was something that really helped me to connect because in breathwork, normally you feel like you feel like like a transpersonal experience. You feel like connected to everyone. You feel like connected to everything. In some points during breathwork, you can feel like uh, you are part of everything and you are not like a singular person and you are not alone. So this is really helpful to realize that, hey, this is, um, I'm not alone. I'm part of something bigger. So I can forgive also other people. And uh, this is part of the collective pain. This is part of, uh, and the, we have also limited tools and, um, and also it's trying to see beyond the people, beyond the physical person. This is something I also learned in Tantra is something that we go, we call transfiguration, something like to see, uh, the sacredness of the other person. So trying to see that be behind that is something like, uh, wishes, desires of being loved, for example. So. Yeah, I would say that also, um, for me, uh, forgiveness was something as well that, uh, yeah, it took me, it took me some time and some breathwork sessions to really, to really, uh, reach that point of forgiveness. And I think it's not so easy. I think also sometimes we, um, focus so much on forgiving that uh, it's not about the act of just forgiving, not on, because sometimes we, we just focus on forgiving and we are, we stay on a superficial layer. And very easily what they find in like more cognitive therapy is that sometimes, or what they find in coaching is sometimes is with the mind, we try to uh, feel things or to forgive people or to accept people or to feel compassion uh, in a, in a way that where we use only the mind. And I think also using the body is very important. So, you know, the, the connection of mind, body, and, and soul. So if you feel like, if you, for example, have the trauma or you feel like you feel the trauma in your body because of, for example, your parents and just, you push yourself to forgive them. So this is not going to happen. So you still feel the, 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 the blockage in your body. 
So you need to work with your body in order, you need to work with your body and also with your mind. So probably what was important for me as well is to work with my body, is to release from my body. Because when I started to do all these activities, I felt like I was completely blocked. I was sometimes not able to dance, not able to move. I felt like I had a huge armor in my heart. I was not able to really love. I was not able to become vulnerable or to, yeah, to uh, talk about deep things with other people. So for me, it was also important to release all the stuff that I was having in my body that was blocking my body all the time. Mm. And those releases can be really beautiful, but also very uncomfortable. And it can evoke a lot of emotion. Um, sometimes those emotions are anger, right? Sometimes it's sadness or grief or loss. Um, sometimes it's also joy. Like I've had those breathwork sessions where I'm just like laughing. I'm like, what the f am I laughing for? You know what I mean? And so it's like, yeah. there, there's something about the, the, the physical embodiment that we have as a spiritual being is so much about letting things exist as they are. And we fight so desperately. I don't, I don't know if you've done this too, but it was like, I used to fight so desperately to be angry. I was like, I want to be mad because the world. And it was like, I would fight so desperately to be right because of my ego. And I'd fight so desperately to have all of these things in the world that I thought were help happiness because that would make it feel better. And what I discovered and still what I'm discovering, because like you, man, I, I think I'm always going to be on this journey, right? Even though I'm 13 years into it and I've coached all these people and we have this podcast, dude, I still have a therapist. I still have a coach. I still go to retreats. I'm still always going deeper because there's so many levels. And, and I believe this, and I know it sounds weird to people who don't understand it yet, but there's a, a quantum healing that happens genetically and energetically, both of our past and of our future when we show up and when we do this work, because you're, you're effectively changing timelines. You're changing and ending the generational trauma that you've been through, but it's so uncomfortable, right? And, and I want to go into this for a second because, you know, I, I think there are people who believe that they're never going to be healed. I think there are people who believe that even if they join our programs and they come into our coaching and, and they may even listen to this podcast all the time, they still believe that healing and love and compassion and joy are not for them. And they're, they're just trapped in stuckness. My theory on this is that they're trapped in that place because they have not yet learned how to regulate their body. And I know that you and I are very good at this because it's become a part of our daily practices. And I want you to talk about like how you actually regulate your body, how you get your brain and body and soul connected, because I believe that it is that connection in which you find healing. Yeah, I think regulating the nervous system is very important and uh, it makes really the big difference. For me, using the breath is the most powerful tool. So uh, I spend like two minutes, three minutes uh, doing connected breathing through the nose. And then for me, I feel like very grounded, very center. So very easily. Uh, sometimes when I'm, because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm teaching to you people who are going to become uh, breathwork facilitators. And sometimes I explain to them that, hey, you don't really need to 
run a one hour session for your client or for someone to help them. You can just do one, two minutes of breathing, of connected breathing, and people can already feel centered. They can feel grounded. They can feel, uh, if you feel stress with anxiety, etc. if you're having a bad moment, you can really feel more centered. So just breathing through the nose in a connected way for one, two minutes, like not making pauses between inhalation and exhalation, exhalation and inhalation, closing your eyes, maybe standing up, maybe sitting down in any position and then just connecting to your breath, feeling your breath, bringing your breath to your belly, expanding your belly. So this is really a really great, great regulation tool for me. So this works really well for, for before any workshop, because I, I teach very often online or in retreats, in workshops. So before I start any activity, I, I regulate myself because, okay, it's a new activity. So I'm nervous. So I am very excited. So I need to be centered. And it takes a couple of minutes really, really to you, to you uh, feel centered. So using the breath is a great tool for me. Of course, meditation, mindfulness can also be helpful, but for me, the most powerful tool is to breathe. Thank you so much for listening to Think Unbroken. Please share this episode with someone who could use it and help us move forward in our mission of ending generational trauma in our lifetime. And if you would, please take five seconds to pop on iTunes or Spotify, hit that five star, leave a review. And you can also reach out to us on social at Michael Unbroken or at Think Unbroken. And of course, you can check out our YouTube channel at Think Unbroken. Thank you for being a part of Unbroken Nation, my friends. And until next time, be unbroken.